This episode has been brought to you in part by the Toronto Heschel School. You are invited to attend their open house on November 10th to discover what makes Heschel special. Visit torontoheschel.org for more details. That's Toronto, H-E-S-C-H-E-L dot org. everybody, we're the Menchwarmers, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? It's a beautiful, uh, uh, I guess, recording this on a Monday evening, Erev World Series Day. That's true. And the day after uh, a new Curb, Curb Enthusiasm series uh, dropped, uh, always a holiday in the Jewish calendar, an under, under-celebrated under holiday. That's true. I guess this is the 11th year uh, AL after yeah. Larry. <laughs> That's right. Um, as Anna, uh, Larry? We, we were recently uh, on a podcast, the CJN uh, Daily Podcast, um, sort of celebrated an anniversary and had all the podcasts on. And, and we were asked about what our goals are, like who our dream guests are. And I said that one of ours was just uh, our, our long-stayed dream to, to play golf with Larry David. That, that would be, if we can do that, we can end the podcast. We can end the podcast. Yeah, that would be enough. But it, it would be on great top. if we could do that. Um, let's uh, start by talking a little bit about Jewish sports news, as we usually do. Um, as you said, it's Arab World Series, um, and this is a fairly Jewish one. Both teams have Jewish players. Um, the Houston Astros have World Series champion Alex Bregman, and the uh, Atlanta Braves have also World Series champion Josh Peterson. <laughs> Reigning and- World Series MVP, Josh Peterson, I believe. No, he didn't win the MVP last year. He didn't year. win the MVP? No. but uh, uh, And Max, Max Fried, the uh, starting pitcher, who I don't know if, they ha- if they've announced that he's pitching game one, but he should be pitching one of the first few games. Um, I believe, yeah, if he has, if he's not pitching game one, it would, it would be soon. Yeah. Um, uh, we also, you know, third string catcher, not sure if he's on the, um, not sure he's on the, uh, uh, roster, but third string catcher Garrett Stubbs of the Astros is also Jewish. Right. Um, so good luck to all of them. I guess we will have another world series champion who's Jewish, um, it, it, it could just be a repeat, but uh, Garrett Stubbs gets a ring if he makes it. play to play for the Astros this year. Um, that's right. There'll be at least two Jews with rings. Yeah. Uh, uh, after after this year, so that's that's pretty good. And, and big contributions as well. I mean, I we we've talked on this podcast previously about uh, Jock Peterson, who you know I think has very famously now for people who aren't even fans of the sport been been sporting a you know uh, Aunt Esther. Uh, string of pearls while he's playing has, has said that you know he does it because he's a bad bitch and and despite not having had a great uh, regular season performance the last couple of years has just been raking in the playoffs you know this is October now so doing spectacularly it really is as they call it uh, uh it really is October um something that's also you know worth mentioning between the there are four Jews between the uh, uh Red Sox and Astros but I think this is the rare uh you know professional sports finals with no jewish owners oh interesting that is interesting uh yeah the the you know atlanta braves are owned by something called uh, liberty media which is run by a guy named john malone who which okay. is about as as non-jewish of a businessman you could get right and he's an irish catholic um and the houston astros are owned by uh you know darn tootin rootin shootin jimmy crane who was a uh, uh good old houston oil boy yeah, no, no managers either. Uh, we should, you know, talk about the the sort of also rans 
Um, obviously they didn't, uh, end up making it out of the, um, the divisional series or, or sorry, out of the wild card, but Gabe Kapler, um, is the, is currently the manager of the San Francisco giants, probably the best team in baseball this year. And unfortunately yes. could, yep. couldn't make it out of the divisional series. Um, Klein Bloom is the, I don't know exactly what his title is president of the Boston Red Sox and didn't make it, but an article about how this is the most Jewish world series in baseball history. As far as you can tell, um, you know, at least three Jewish players who are, who will all definitely play. Um, and it's as much as 1959, which was uh, Sandy Koufax and Larry Sherry, uh, who were sort of battery and for the LA Dodgers. And uh, White Sox had a, had a pitcher named Barry Latman, but he didn't actually pitch in the series. So three so, Jews yeah. in that series, but uh, up to the 1959, right? So it, it'll be roughly around that. Um, you know, looking at some of those over some of the rosters here, there's also a good number of uh, of our good old favorite, uh, you know. Um, how do we call it? A good old favorite, uh, Mike Jacobs All-Stars. Um, you know, former Toronto Blue Jay coach Kevin Seitzer. Also got right, a so, good name. So this is people who, who sound like they could be Jewish. Enough to pique interest that uh, you got to look it up. Enough. And and my personal favorite, another good old Texas boy, Alex Minter. Yeah, that's not bad. You know, I, I could have gone to camp with an Alex Minter. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, one other piece of Jewish sports news uh, I want to talk about is the election to the uh, NBA 75th anniversary team, which was a, a team that the NBA put out to celebrate their 75th anniversary um, of the 75 best players or most important players in NBA history. It actually ended up being 76 players because there was, there was a tie. Uh, but part of that list was the legendary Dolph Shays. Uh, our, probably, our Twitter banner. If you've seen yeah, our, our Twitter, Twitter he's our Twitter banner. A very, a very Semitic looking fellow, I would say. He's got the real like, um, sort of like oval Leonard Cohen type Jewish face, I would say. If that, if that, uh, <laughs> I think that that describes a, a certain type of uh, Jewish phenotype. Um, but Dolph Shays, twelve-time NBA All-Star, uh, started for the Syracuse Nationals in the very early days of uh, the NBA or the NBL, as it was originally uh, called. He was a Rookie of the Year, you know, All, all NBA uh, twelve times in his career as well. Um, you know, definitely. Like, I don't have to make the case for it. He was a, a very, very important player at his time. But he was also a center in the 1950s who was six foot seven, which was like the tallest that they'd ever seen someone in 1949. Listen, you, know? you play against the team that shows up. Yeah. And like, to be fair, if you watch clips of Dolce's shooting a basketball two-handed, um, you're not necessarily impressed that he would beat uh, any NBA player of the last 20 years, one-on-one, -on -one. but that was the game then that was the competition. Then uh, people online were, were sort of having a bit of a, a field day with it and, and a bit confused about it because they sort of said like, you know, whenever they make a list like this, there's always going to be people who are left off, you know, who are the next, the next uh, people down. So like people started comparing him to Kyrie Irving, things like that, you know, someone who didn't make the list and it's yeah. sort of like, you know, but that he probably wouldn't beat Kyrie Irving even on his best day. No, but it's a very different, it's a different game there. I think the same way that, you know, there's probably 10,000 Dominican 16-year-olds that could strike out Babe Ruth. It's right, a different exactly. game, and we still consider Babe Ruth to be to be great, the same way we would still consider, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? We would still consider Dolph Chase to be yeah. great as he was before. I, I wonder what that Kyrie Irving comparison, uh, if we have made a decision on whether or not Dolph Chase would get vaccinated. <laughs> or whether he thinks the world was round. I mean, it might not. Kyrie. It's the 1950s. Who knows? 
beating up on Kyrie a little bit here unnecessarily, but he was like the one of the people who was left off the list that people were upset about. I think part of it was that Dolph Shays was on the the 50th year anniversary team, and they just sort of took all those guys and added 25 or 26 more as it ended up being. But uh, you know, he was an important player at that time. You play against who you play against in that era. Um, he was also the fa- father of Danny Shays. Uh, who people might remember a little a little more. He was a first round pick in the in 1981 and had a, had a really long NBA career as a guy who I think was like you know sort of big body uh, you know backup center type um, yep. or backup forward type and you know but I think could have played for like 17 18 years um, and you know also good Jewish athlete. So um, so congratulations to to Dolph Shays I think in the in the Shays family what? for that uh, that selection. One question about Dolph Shays that I don't think we've we've talked about on this podcast yet, and I wonder if it's, it's the case. You know, he went to NYU, got drafted in 1948. His given name is Adolf. And I wonder if there was a point at which, you know, given the news of the world in the 1940s, he dropped the A and said, I'm just going to go Dolph. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, he was born in 1928. So you think by the time he was like five or six, uh, you know, the other Adolf had already come to prominence. And I think by then it's like, ah, it's just Dolph now, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are some, uh, you know, more new age people like 15 years ago who named their kid Isis. And, uh, you know, it's just Sissy. Right, or it, it, something it's else. Sissy, like, right, exactly. Yeah. I, exactly. You, you got to roll with the times. You got to have something that's adaptable. Uh, and, and Dolph is pretty, is pretty good. Dolph's a pretty good, good, uh, you know, post-Adolph. I think I think there's a question. Say maybe Jews should take back Adolf. Um, you know, it was a good, you know. But, but besides Dolph Shays, um, I either Harpo or Chico Marx was also born Adolf. I can't remember which one. But one of the Marx brothers, like we've some great Jewish Adolfs. We've you know? just because there's one terrible one doesn't mean we should ruin it for everybody. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't. He certainly was not Jewish and was definitely more more German. Um, but Adolf Coors. Is a very notable Adolf. Sure. Um, you know, my father says don't drink anything made by a man named Adolf, but you know, Coors is a very popular popular beer. Yeah. Uh, um, I'd I'd like to. I think we should move on now to an interview that we have with Mark Hebsher, um, a uh, local Jewish sports media person. <laughs> local now Jew Mark Hebsher. Local Jew Mark Hebsher, um, who came on to talk about an ongoing series he's writing for the Canadian Jewish News about Ida Schnall um, and his pitch for her as the greatest Jewish athlete uh, of all time, the, the Jewish goat. And uh, we talked to Mark about, you know, his work and his life a little bit and about Ida as well. Um, we'd encourage everyone to check out his uh, ongoing series about Ida Schnall on the Canadian Jewish news. I think there's two more parts that will be coming out. Um, you know, she was a, you know, baseball, swimming, diving, tennis champion. We say uh, this in the interview, but a real, you know, most interesting, most interesting person in the world of her time. There's sort of a, like a vaudeville style, you know, jack of all trades thing that she really mastered in New York in the 1920s um, and gained some a good amount of fame on it. So it was fascinating to have that conversation with uh, Hebsey, as yeah. he likes to be called. So uh, we have our interview with Mark. And then after our interview with Mark, Gabe and I will both give our own pitches for the Jewish uh, greatest of all time. We're joined tonight by Mark Hebsher. Mark, how are you doing? Hi, guys. How's things? Uh, things are good. Thanks for joining us. Um, before we get into a little bit about uh, the greatest Jewish athlete of all time and your, your pitch for the greatest Jewish athlete of all time, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, uh, your, your career in, in sports journalism? 
Uh, sure, yeah. I took uh, radio and television uh, broadcasting back in the mid-70s at Conestoga College in Kitchener. I'm from Toronto, Willowdale, sure. actually, you know, raised up there. Whereabouts? Uh, Steels and Bathurst, uh, Steels and Young, Steels and Bayview, uh, Hood there. I went out to um, um, Kitchener. And uh, it was pretty interesting learning radio and TV. Started in radio, did some news, some disc jockeying, eventually ended up doing sports talk radio in Toronto and in Montreal for a while. And then started a, an 11-year run on Sportsline, which was a late-night highlight show on global TV, kind of a revolutionary, you know, um, highlight, personality-driven um, show, which was very popular, kind of a cult show to start with. And, um, and then I just coasted the rest of my career. <laughs> Did some play-by-play in the Maple Leafs, the Argonauts, um, you know, covered all the big sporting events, baseball, Blue Jays, spring training, championships, all that stuff over many years. And then um, did some news and current affairs and um, um, shows in um, Hamilton for about a decade or so. And now I'm like retired and I do a podcast every Friday, Hebsey on Sports, where I go after uh, certain people and hold their feet to the fire if they're, uh, you know, executives or whatever, coaches, players, and uh, do some media talk as well. I got some experience in media, sports media, and, uh, you know, comment on that and got some inside sources with some stories. It's lots of fun. It's fun to be retired. I'm, I'm very jealous of that sort of retirement, semi-working lifestyle. As a 32-year-old person, I really envy that. I can't do it tomorrow. Um, but when I can, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be on it. But let's talk about your new book. Um, it, the book is called, pardon me if I get this wrong, The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of. Um, oh, I nailed it. Uh, so, you know, what is it? How'd you think about it? When did you start writing it? And, you know, what can our listeners expect to get from it? Well, that book is so, it's so long ago now that I'm trying to, you know, recall how it all came about. But after my career in television ended abruptly, <laughs> I had a little project that I had, you know, heard some stories about this guy named George Orton. From Strathroy, Ontario, who was supposedly the first Canadian to win an Olympic gold medal, but they considered him to be an American. And I was interested in that story. And I now had time to pursue it. So I did a documentary about this fellow, which I found was fascinating. Um, so, you know, you peel back layers of someone's um, life and you go back through newspaper accounts and such. And it was quite remarkable what this fellow did. He was um, he was disabled. Uh, he was given no chance to even walk. He ended up being the Canadian mile champion. He was, uh, he basically invented cross country running and those championships, really a tremendous career. Um, and it took a long time for people to recognize him as a Canadian, even though he spent the first 20 years of his life here. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, people just, you know, he's not recognized by certain authorities, important authorities as being a Canadian. It's a shame, terrible story. So I wanted to sort of uncover it. And as I did, I sort of, he felt very grandfatherly to me, as if, you know, were I his grandson, I'd be fighting for his, to tell his story. Well, it's interesting, so, it's interesting so to see that. He had a very fascinating life, I thought was quite interesting. That I thought I should document that. It's interesting to see how much, uh, you know, sometimes people, you know, this is a guy who won, a, I think it was at the 1900 Olympics that he, that he won the, the medals that he won. Um, you know, with guys who have been, you know, their successes a hundred years ago, plus the, the, you know, ongoing recognition about them is just can be from, you know, a grandchild or a descendant or someone who is just a, you know, either an amateur or professional historian who looks into it and sort of revives their, 
uh, notability, you know, that otherwise it's like, we can all just pass over that, you know, there's this guy, as you say, the first disabled athlete to win a, an Olympic medal, um, you know, invented cross country, for example, like these are, these are important things. And, uh, you know, there isn't always the, uh, the scholarship on, on these people that, that there should be, you know, it just, it sometimes it takes someone to write it. Someone actually has to write the book, you know, at the end of the day, there isn't always a book written about them already. And just, I want to go back to something you said earlier that struck me. You mentioned your television career ended somewhat abruptly. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Well, I got too old, basically, and I was making too much money. And, and, and I saw <laughs> the writing all this the time. Wall, so I wasn't like, like surprised. You know, I was just short of my 60th birthday. And so, you know, it's like, right. And, and where were you working at the time? I was in Hamilton. I'd been there about 13 years doing, um, doing another edition of Sportsline, like Sportsline 2.0. Sort of like, pardon the interruption. Canadian style. And also this news sort of, I'm sorry for the interruption that I had mentioned called square off. So Mark, um, you're writing a series right now in the Canadian Jewish news about the, uh, one of the greatest, the greatest Jewish athlete of all time, uh, Ida Schnall. Can you talk, uh, can you talk a little bit of how you became aware of her or started researching her? Sure. So while I was researching my book and my documentary on George Orton, I found this little snippet of a, a female athlete who had sort of stood up to the authorities, the AAU, the uh, um, American, uh, uh, the uh, Amateur Athletic Union of the U.S., okay. which is the most powerful, you know, amateur union, which at the time was pretty much all amateur sports. So while I'm researching one, I, I'm hearing of this woman who was like this, the greatest female athlete at the time. That's what she was billed as. And so I inserted a bit of that into my book and then kind of revisited her story because being Jewish, I found it to be quite interesting. Um, and, you know, now I can do more research because she's got grandchildren that are alive. Her okay. life was well documented. She was very photographed. She was a big star in Hollywood in the early era of silent films. She was a Broadway star. She was a, a burlesque era star. And she was a tremendous athlete and very photogenic. And, you know, her life was quite interesting. So um, I thought, you know, writing a book would be a little more difficult. But telling the story in the Canadian Jewish News you know, people might, oh, maybe they knew of her or maybe they not, have, didn't know of her and are interested in hearing more. Because as you know, um, strong Jewish, um, you know, athletic uh, people were not super common, certainly around 1900. Right. And They're not Jewish women common now either. True that, true that. But certainly Jew, strong Jewish women back then, no, those terms were mutually exclusive, I think. So she, One thing I so found uh, a lot of people were like, whoa, you know, she wasn't very feminine and what's a nice Jewish girl, you know, all that stuff. Your grand, she should be like your grandmother and have those sloping shoulders and childbearing hips. And, you know, P.S. She had two children, too. But she right. was like a daredevil, too. And she wouldn't back down. She had a really interesting background. She had a, a military history, not officially, but she worked out with the soldiers okay. because her seven brothers were off playing sports and she wasn't allowed to. So she was a natural athlete and uh, from a very wealthy family, too. So pretty interesting story. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that she was so um, sort of prolific that she was able to compete in so many different sports. I, You know, there's you, you talked about she was on, I guess it was sort of like a, a sideshow New York female Giants baseball team at the time, uh, you know, along with the diving and swimming and, and other things as well. So it's, it's amazing how, uh, you know, diverse her uh, her athleticism was. Well, she would have been the first Olympic um, champion from the United States for women had she been allowed had women been allowed to go into the um, Olympics but James Sullivan the head of the AAU wouldn't allow it other countries sent their women for swimming and diving he wouldn't allow the U.S. women to do it Ida Schnall 
uh, courageously went up against him, you know, in the media and in person, like confronted him on occasion, getting him to, you know, change his mind about not just women, but, but, but persons of color, Jews, you name it. This guy was a, you know, your, your, your classic sports czar, bigot, right? Um, and um, anti-Semite, you name it, this guy, uh, you know, uh, oh my God. There- at he the was, time, he was, was there like sort of a cartoon character almost nowadays? At the time, was there like a, a public reaction to this? Was was did her story get famous? Was Ida sort of notable amongst the Jewish community back then, or did it sort of happen behind the scenes? I wouldn't say in the Jewish community. I would say in the New York community for sure. Very well known. Like I say, a Broadway star lived there, grew up there, right? Played ball there, local legend. So they knew about her in New York, and she had a way of you know the newspaper reporters and the newspaper photographers, especially. They knew a good story. She gave you a good story. She jumped off the wing of an airplane as it flew across the beach one day. Like, you know, she was a daredevil and jumped from the the roof of the New York Stock Exchange and struck out John Barrymore, the silent film star, and and, um, raised money for, also raised money for the suffragettes, raised money for the war effort, um, World War I, Liberty, Miss Liberty, um, was a, you know, was a tennis instructor of, of note, played with um, Bobby Riggs and wow. against Bobby Riggs. This and knew those real... people in that era, Babe Ruth in the 20s, like the golden years of sports. This is some real most interesting man or woman in the world type stuff. Uh, what, what about her being Jewish drew you to this story? She was born in, um, you know, actually she was born in an area where my grandparents were from. But in Austria, which is now Poland, and then they came over when she was a teenager to New York, and the family was not um, particularly observant. You know, high holidays. The the, the boys had bar mitzvahs. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure she had a bat mitzvah. She was the, the one girl of eight children. Pro- probably unlikely. In and um, you know, they weren't. Uh, there could have been a lot of reasons for that too, as you know, because the last name Schnall was a very German sounding name, and she did speak German. There's a lot of anti-German sentiment, especially around the you know First World War. So the family name was changed actually when she got married to uh, Carver. His name was Schnitzer. Can you imagine Schnall and Schnitzer? Let's go for change go our for names. It. Maybe Americanize it or something. So right, they changed nice, it to Carver, nice which is Yiddish. Carver. Schnitzer yeah. is Yiddish for a carver, like a woodworker. Hmm. Yeah. So so Mark, I know that um, you're writing some more pieces of the series. What what uh, do our readers of the Canadian Jewish News have to look forward to in terms of? more parts of her story that are, are going to be expanded on. Well, I can't give too much away, obviously, <laughs> I hope that uh, folks will read it. But yeah, just uh, quite a fascinating life. And the people, the interesting people that she met, um, the influence she had, and the influence, I think, that her legacy also, the fact that she, um, she really took on the establishment. I mean, luckily, she had the means. She had a name for herself because she was a famous athlete. But she also got ripped off. She should have been the first, you know, like gold medalist for the United States for women. Right. And kind of a story that needs to be told. She really pushed, she, she really pushed the, um, the establishment, the male, white male establishment, I, you know, if you, as you were, um, you know, a little Jewish girl. So, you know, pretty good success story and uh, interesting life that she led. Yeah. That's great. That's very interesting. Um, I think we're probably going to have to leave it there for now. But uh, Mark, thanks so much for joining us and, and giving us your pitch on, on Ida Schnall as the, the, greatest, the greatest of all time Jewish athlete edition. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Mark for joining us and sharing a little bit about the history of Ida Schnall. Um, Definitely an interesting pitch for her as the Jewish goat, the greatest of all time. 
Gabe, you and I have talked a little bit about, about what we should call this person. And I think we've, we've settled on something pretty clever. Which is, uh, uh, you know, the goat worth more than two Zuzim. That's right. We're going to call <laughs> the, Jewish, the Jewish goat the Gadya. The Gadya. Um, the Gadya. The Chad Gadya um, of Jewish athletes. And, and we'll, have to, we'll have to, you know, find a backronym for that. Uh, you know, so, greatest all time something uh, to, to make it work. I, so for Gadya, I think we could, I think right now, if I'm, I'm going to put this in here, if we're thinking of a backronym. It would be the greatest athlete division Yiddish athletes. <laughs> greatest all time, definitely it, Yiddish athlete. Yeah, or or yeah, the greatest, the greatest athlete doing Yiddish athletics. athleticism. Yeah, athletics. All right, we'll put a pin in that. But here's my <laughs> uh, here's my pitch for the Gadya. Yeah, let's hear um, let's hear your Gadya. Okay, um, so, here, so here's my pitch. Sometimes we talk about the greatest in terms of you know individual accolades in a moment that they were as great as they were in a moment that was so amazing that nobody could touch them at their peak. You know, an apex that that is unrivaled. Some goats, though, we talk about have that have that greatness, but what sets them apart from everybody else is longevity. You know, Tom Brady's a guy who is sort of accepted as the greatest football player of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time. I think part of what's so amazing about him is, is, is what he's been able to do in, you know, most of three decades now. So in that, if you vein, look at, you know, Vince Carter in basketball or Gordy Howe in hockey, sure. you know, people in the conversation. Yeah. That, you know, sustaining, sustaining greatness for a long time is really what makes someone the goat. So my, uh, my nominee for the Gadya is American swimmer Dara Torres, wow. who, yeah. And what is amazing about her is that she won a gold medal in 1984 at the Los Angeles Olympics, and she won three silver medals <laughs> 24 years later in Beijing. So, Truly amazing, especially because, you know, you think of swimmers so famously, swimmers sort of peak at 21 right. or 20. Um, you know, you look at, at another very famous Jewish swimmer, Mark Spitz, who retired when he was 22. Right. So Spitz, I think, is, is, is an interesting parallel because Spitz, I think, has maybe 11 medals at two Olympics um, and, you know, won all those Olympics out at, at Munich that he had such a great showing. So Dara Torres is a little more spread out in terms of her, her success. She has 12 medals total, four gold, four silver, four bronze. Um, as I said, one in 84, two in 1988, one in 92 at Barcelona. And then there's an initial eight-year gap where she doesn't she doesn't compete in 96 she comes back in 2000 in sydney wins two golds in sydney in, in four by 100s and three bronzes at sydney takes another olympics off and comes back in 2008 and at the age of 41 wins three medals including a silver in the 50 meter freestyle so this is the, the she's the gadja because she did it for so long at such a high level and that is just it's it's incredible you know she um in 2000 and uh sorry the 2000 olympics uh, she was the oldest member of the U.S. Olympic swim teams. And at 33 years old, she was the <laughs> oldest woman ever to win an Olympic medal in swimming at 33 years old. And then eight years later, and then eight years, she did it again. She did it again at 41. So that is a level of great. That's greatness. That's sustained. You know, that is uh, that is something that's greatest of all time worthy. So that's my nomination. Uh, I should say that she she grew up. Uh, she's she's the daughter of a, Jew, of a Jewish man. She was half Jewish. Um, later converted uh, to Judaism as well. The full Judaism. Yeah. There's no uh, such. You know, there's a rule of conversion where there's no such thing as a convert. Right. Once you've yeah. converted, 
you are not you have not converted you are jewish yeah and i think uh you know she has just been a great representative of the jewish people of jewish athletes everywhere so i i pitch dare torres as as the gadya for my gadya you know i'm gonna talk very briefly about somebody we have have discussed before and that's you know the original goat better than two two zuzim i'm talking about four-time champion 12-time all-star five-time olympic medalist uh sue bird sure um who has also won or four medals i think now i should say five um, five golds five medals now so she like dara torres has won at five olympics they just she didn't take as many breaks in the time um as well probably the greatest was one of the greatest college basketball players of all time now one of the greatest professional basketball players of all time sue bird has won everything there is to possibly win she you know is absolutely one of the greatest wnba players of all time there's no question so she you know we've talked about sue bird plenty and she is absolutely worth, uh, uh, you know, she's the most decorated Olympic basketball player of all time. Sure. She's probably, you know, the greatest Jewish athlete of all time when it comes to reaching a peak. You okay. know, we have your longevity argument. We've got Sue Bird for the peak argument. But if we're talking about the greatest Jewish athlete, you know, not necessarily in terms of performance and personality, but someone who combines all of that and might have hit the highest individual peak. So I'm going to go total opposite to Dara Torres longevity, individual peak and go back to Mark Spitz. Okay. Mark Spitz did something, you know, that many people thought would never happen again, where he won seven gold medals at one individual Olympics. Um, you know, he had won four medals at a previous Olympics, two golds in 1968, uh, when he was, I think, 17 years old. Uh, and then again, when he was 21, in, in Munich, um, or he had just turned 18, I'm sorry, when he was 22 in Munich, uh, he won seven gold medals, uh, you know, and he, Mark Spitz was sort of notable uh, for both, you know, his outspoken Judaism and his incredibly brash personality. He was sort of an absolute psychopath athlete that you don't really see, you didn't really see amongst Jewish people and you don't really see amongst many other athletes today other than sort of your Kobe Bryant, Michael Phelps level Alex Honnold, there's one thing in my life performance. Um, You know, he said, you know, he was very open about him having incredible, you know, anxiety and butterflies for every race. But he also said before he attempted the seven gold medals that, you know, swimming seven and winning six is a failure. You know, he (laughs) had to win every single thing he was in or else, else it was, was a failure. And, you know, his last, his last, uh, you know, event, the hundred meter freestyle, he set a world record, his worst, you know, uh, opinion. And he did it. So he's got, you know, uh, uh, nine gold medals in total, 12 medals in total. Only Michael Phelps has more medals than him ever, uh, for a male athlete in the Olympics. So, you know, uh, in terms of peak Phelps is the only one who's done better, um, mm-hmm. than him uh, as a peak athlete. So that's pretty close to being the best. A couple of other things that make Mark Spitz, to me personally, interesting um, is that uh, when he was 41, somebody like Dara Torres gave, said, I'll give you a million dollars if you try again to go for the Barcelona Olympics. Wow. Unlike Dara Torres, he didn't make it, um, but he took the million dollars and made a documentary. Uh, also, Mark Spitz, you know, when in, in ESPN did the greatest athletes of uh the the 1900s -hmm. uh, in the year 2000 uh, and he was the only jewish athlete on the list okay um so according to espn at the time you know a lot of dara torres 
sort of set her longevity record after that, but he was viewed by sort of the establishment as the greatest athlete of all time, uh, the greatest Jewish athlete of all time in, in, by ESPN in 1929. A couple of other Mark Spitz factoids I want to share. Sure. Specifically, you know, he retired immediately after the 1972 Olympics. And so um, was, was that because uh, that was the only way to make a living back then? Like if, if you were um, like you needed to retire to cash in sponsorships and stuff like that, or is it just walking away at, the, at his peak? I think so. I think I think he both walked away, um, you know, just because he he was done. Another thing about him, I mentioned that he was a little crazy that like like he's I think he saw, well, I've done everything I wanted to do. Now I'm going to go do something else. Like he just didn't give a shit anymore after he won. Right. Um, which I think is, is a big part of it. Um, one other thing that was really interesting about Mark Spitz is even though he won seven gold medals, at the Olympics should have been the toast of the Olympics. He wasn't at the closing ceremonies. He was um, spirited out by the CIA mm. uh, spirited out of the Olympics uh, and sort of like a, uh, you know, a dark off in the middle of the night and taken from Germany back to, back to America. Um, you know, out of his own safety because they thought he would be a big target. Um, two other sort of crazy things about Mark Spitz is he once said he did a milk ad, uh, you know, in 1970, where he said, I always drink milk because I want moms to hmm. like me, which is like a real creepy thing to say, like sort of a real, uh, like a guy who just loves that stuff. Um, couple of other things that uh, Mark Spitz that was done a little done a little crazy he posed nude uh you know immediately after Olympics because he said this is almost a direct quote um and he was one of the hottest you know the most successful posters ever sold sort of him in a speedo wearing his seven gold medals at once he said he was one of the Olympic athletes who was not quote an oh, ugly wow. and that made him it made him really popular so again he's a, a real real weirdo um, and you know, he made about 10 million bucks at the very end of the year. Um, sorry, he's not an ugly, it wasn't an ugly. He said, you know, you, people don't like to spend money on others uh -huh. and he's not an ugly. So he was able to catch in. Um, but he also had a, a, a really, uh, you know, a traditional Jewish wedding that was covered in the news. He stomped on the glass, did a big thing in LA. Um, and has also been, which I think might be the single most Jewish thing about him. Uh, his entire life has suffered from pretty bad acid reflux. <laughs> Well, so that's something that that my six month old son and Mark Spitz have in common already. Hey, maybe your son will end up being a great swimmer, too. Uh, hey, he might be. Well, there you have it. I think our, our picks for the for the gadget. Um, I'm sure we'll hear from people coming calling in saying, you know, oh, it should have been Kofax driven this. I think there's all kinds of different ways to interpret it. And when you're looking at, you know, multi-sport uh, or, or across sports, there's always going to be different comparisons. So, you know, you picked someone who, who seven goals at one Olympics. Amazing. I picked the most decorated Jewish athlete in terms of Olympics ever. Sue Bird also saying, you know, similar five, five goals, you know, if they had more basketball disciplines, maybe she would have won more goals. There's only one, there's only one thing to win. Um, you know, I think there's all kinds of different ways to interpret it. And it's a great debate to continue having, um, you know, maybe we can narrow it down to a, a top 10 list if we're lucky, but, uh, should, should you athletes. know, Alex Bregman maybe win that second ring this week, win that second MVP, you know, he might, he might actually, uh, um, he might actually enter this conversation if he wins an MVP or that second ring. Bregman's an yeah. option if Jock Peterson gets his career back on track. You know, there's, a, there's some Jewish athletes that are really, Max Fried could go, could be the next Sandy Koufax. Something I've noticed, I want to point this out. I've noticed in a lot of World Series broadcasts, they tend to talk about, 
Max Fried's obsession with Sandy Koufax being a, a kid from LA without actually saying he was Jewish. And it seems like an interesting code that they keep bringing up every time he pitches, how much he reminds everyone of Sandy Koufax. Well, I guess it and depends that, who's calling the game. If they have the, the wherewithal to know that, you know, if it was, if it was Shulman uh, calling the game, I think Dan Shulman would probably make a reference about it. Probably. But, you know, I, I question Ron Darling at continually mentioning the, the, uh, you know, obsession with Max Fried as Jewish. It, it feels like how, you know, people yell Jason Siegel at you on the street or little Dickie at me. Uh-huh. Uh, if anyone was interested in so what either of us would look like. Well, that's probably a, a good place to leave it uh, for this edition of the Menchwarmers. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Menchwarmers. Uh, you can interact with us and other CJN stories on Facebook at the CJN Lounge. You can always read the, uh, the newest stories coming out from Canadian Jewish News at the CJN.ca. We encourage you, as always, to join the CJN Circle, with which uh, you get access to a print edition several times a year, uh, as well as some other benefits. Jamie, are you sending your daughter to day school? I am not. I, I too am not sending my child to day school, but if I was, I would consider the Toronto Heschel School. You, the listener of the Menchwarmers, are invited to attend the Heschel School's open house on November 10th to find out exactly what makes Heschel special. Visit torontoheschel.org for more details. I will be looking into this. I, I am the product of a Jewish day school, so um, if you want your child to end up like me, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Menchwarmers. Menchwarmers. <laughs>